0: Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Ricky Shillette and our topic is LGBTQ plus issues impacting the local church. Ricky, thank you for taking the time to join Leadership Lessons.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Gray, it's good to be here with you.
0: Let me tell you all about Ricky. Uh, Ricky is the Executive Director of Living Hope Ministries, for joining Living Hope, Ricky served the Lord as a single adult outreach pastor, youth pastor, and education minister. In fact, he's still on staff at First Baptist Arlington, having been so for 27 years. Ricky holds a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Pre-Law, a Master of Arts in Religious Education, and has taught and spoken across the globe. Over his more than 30 years of ministry, Ricky has vast experience speaking to and journeying with thousands of men, women, and friends and family of those struggling with gender and identity confusion. Uh, Ricky has been a guest speaker at our annual Reach Evangelism Conference. I had the privilege of interviewing him about some of the issues that we're going to discuss today. So, Ricky, let's jump right into these questions. Why don't we begin with you telling a little more background about who you are so folks can um, folks can know you a little, little better and why these issues that we're going to discuss are important to you personally.
1: Sure. Um, well, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I knew something about Jesus, but Uh, just in a pretty secular kind of way. You know, we celebrated Christmas and put up a manger and did those sort of things, but didn't really know that anybody was supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, What also was a little odd about my home is that my mom and dad got married when they were both teenagers. And so uh, they both dropped out of high school and my dad went off to work and he found most work away from home. So he was gone a pretty good bit of my childhood. But my mom was a great mom, stay-at-home mom, loved me, cared about me, was really invested in me. Uh, she had two sisters that were not married or sing, you know, single or divorced, and I had two grandmothers that had been divorced as well. So I had a whole bunch of women and not any men in my life. And then about the time I was around six or seven, eight years old, somewhere in there, my, uh, one of my grandmothers married for the third time, and I suddenly had a, a step-grandfather that came into my life, which was pretty exciting. Uh, He loved me and was a great guy and and everybody loved him and thought everything was wonderful, but what they didn't know about him was that he was also a pedophile and he began to molest me at a very young age, and that continued on really into my adulthood. Um, It happened on a really regular basis. My mom and dad were super careful not to put us with sitters, but the reality was that you know they would bring us to grandma and grandpa's house pretty regular. And as I got older, uh, I, he had a business and I worked with him in his business and, um, you know, things would happen there as well. And so it just became for me uh, something that I thought, well, maybe this is just what you do with significant males in your life. Maybe this is what you do with grandfathers, you know. And it wasn't until I was really kind of my latter middle school, early high school that I began to realize that, wow, the feelings I have are gay feelings. And I even started to have some attraction to, um, you know, some of my uh, friends, even though nothing ever happened with them. Uh, I, I felt those weird kind of feelings and I thought, well, this isn't, is this isn't right. I shouldn't feel this way. Now it was interesting too, because we had some gay identified people in our family and they were loved and appreciated and quite successful actually. Uh, but I knew that for me, there was something internally that I felt like I just didn't want that. I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a normal life. And so, by the time I graduated from high school, I, everything on the outside was great. I was doing well, uh, making straight A's, National not, not uh, national Honor Society, Student Council President. I was well-liked in my school, those kinds of things. So from the outside, everything looked like it was perfect. But internally, I was, I was miserable, really miserable, because I wanted this attraction that I had to go away. Mm-hmm. And so I did what a lot of people do, I think, at that time, was mm-hmm. I thought, well, okay, well, God is the one who takes things away from people. That's a problem. So I'm a prey. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed that the gay would go away. The gay didn't go away. So I decided, well, maybe I should just go away. Wow. And so I, I got up early one morning, went into my mom's room, emptied her medicine cabinet of everything that was there, um, went back into my room, locked the door, got under the covers and waited for death to show up. Luckily for me, uh, that didn't happen. My mom found me late that evening. I didn't die, thank goodness. But nothing was ever discussed. Um, she never asked what happened why it happened it was just like it never happened and six weeks later i was even more depressed because i thought wow i can't even kill myself and so i decided that this time i would do it better and so i went in my dad's gun cabinet i grabbed a pistol we lived in louisiana we hunted and fished and all that so i grabbed the pistol loaded it up went back into my room late at night closed the door got down on the side of my bed put that pistol in my mouth and was just about to pull the trigger when I remembered I had only been to church a couple of times with a, a best buddy of mine that was a pianist, and he was doing a recital in, at church. And he said, hey, would you come sing in my recital? And I said, sure. He said, well, you gotta come to church, we'll practice, and then, you know, afterwards, we'll, we'll, we'll do the rehearsing. And I thought, eh, I don't really want to do that, but okay, for you, I'll do it. And so I went to church with him, and I heard the pastor there preach the gospel. And I remember when I heard it, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was crazy that, A savior a god would come from heaven and take on human form and then give his very life for people that were sinful and didn't want to love him didn't care about him and wanted to crucify him i thought that's ridiculous why would y'all believe this and why would they believe this old book anyway but in that moment i also remembered that his family was an amazing family and i had gotten to know them and spent a lot of time with them and their family was completely different than my very dysfunctional family and so in that moment i thought well maybe just maybe what he was telling me and what this preacher was saying was really true And so I pulled that gun out of my mouth and I said out loud on the side of my bed, God, I don't know if you're real, I don't know if you're true, I don't know if you can do what they say you can do, but if you can, you need to do it or I'm gonna pull this trigger and paint the wall red. And in those moments, Jesus showed up to me in that room. Now he didn't physically show up, but but I knew he was there and there were two things he spoke to me. One was, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the other one was, I will be a father to the fatherless. Hmm and um and i found out later those were scripture i didn't know they were at the time but but it was it was the way that god confirmed to me that what i heard and felt in that moment was not just an emotion it was actually a savior who had come to rescue me and from that moment on things began to change pretty radically in my life now the attractions didn't just disappear um they were still there but i knew that god had a different way and that he was going to be with me in that process by the time i was uh, at 23, uh, I met a young woman that, that was beautiful and amazing and kind of swept me off my feet. And I told her everything about my life and she still liked me cool. and wanted to be with me. And at 26, we got married and we had 30 amazing years together. And uh, she passed about three and a half years ago, almost four years ago of cancer. And when she passed, I was there at the side of her bed and and uh, saw her reach up toward heaven like she was grabbing a hold of the Lord. And breathe their last breath, and and again, I heard God say to me those same two passages. You know, I'll never leave you and forsake you, and I'll be a father to the fatherless. And He has been faithful all through these years. So my passion for doing this comes directly from the fact that I know how folks feel that struggle with this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still feel those things at times, not like I used to, yeah. but but they can still be there. But I also know that we have a God who transforms people's lives, and that the gospel changes people. And I, I want people to desperately know that truth.
0: My goodness, Ricky! What a what an incredible story and a, a painful story to hear, and yet God has redeemed you and, and and is using your story to impact so many different lives. It had to be just hearing about your wife's passing. I was not aware of that, and uh, that had to be happening around the time you were here in Kentucky with us at our our Reach Evangelism Conference. Yep. This.
1: It was right. It was right after that, actually. Wow! Yes.
0: My goodness, I'm yeah. so sorry for that loss and your experience, and yet grateful for God's grace and and how uh, the the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, and Amen. He, he's done that for you. So, uh, what are some ways that you see the growing acceptance of LGBTQ plus matters impacting the local church?
1: Yeah, I think it's impacting it hugely. I think whenever. Um, we are looking at compromising God's truth for man's inclinations, that is always gonna end us up in a with a problem. Uh, when we violate those boundaries, especially in sexuality, I think we open the door to other biblical boundaries being crossed and other absolutes being not so absolute. So I think that eventually, uh, what we're gonna see happen in our culture is that the church is gonna be required to stop preaching and teaching on the issue of sexuality uh, and gender Uh, or face significant penalties. And and that is not some far-fetched possibility that is a, a, or far-fetched idea, it's a real possibility. We already see that happening in Australia. Uh, My friends that did ministry like mine in Australia have already shut down their ministries because um, of a law that was passed there in 2021 that basically prohibits even pastors from praying with individuals in their churches who are seeking help to deal with their unwanted same gender attraction or sexual confusion, and they can be imprisoned for 10 years and fined thousands of dollars. And so uh, we've seen a massive shift happen even in that first world place that is often very similar to the kinds of things that we do here in America. So I I won't be surprised if that happens at all in America.
0: So we're at least very quickly, and even in the passage of the recent Senate bill, uh, we're, we're very quickly moving to a place of open hostility against Christianity and the teachings of a, of a faithful, faithful church. Uh, Ricky, so you interact with church leaders, you're, you're on staff currently. Um, what are some of the questions that folks are looking for answers to regarding these issues?
1: Well, a couple of big ones I think come up right off, uh, most often, the first one is like, how do we talk about this issue without offending people? Yeah. And unfortunately, my answer to that is, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, because basically, anytime you're declaring truth in the culture that we live in today, it is going to be offensive. And yeah. and I think we as, as ministers and pastors need to remember that the gospel itself is an offensive gospel. Yeah. Now, we don't deliver it in an offensive way, hopefully. And I think we need to be winsome and kind and caring and compassionate. But the reality is that the truth outlies what we can and what we cannot do. And whenever you say no to someone, they become offended. Whenever you define something for them that doesn't feel like what they want to use to define their life, then they become offended. And then we have other questions like, you know, how do we reach the LGBT community? I get that one a lot, and and my response to that one is, well, honestly, the same way you reach any other community. Right. Uh, you, you build relationships, you love them, you live with them, you you do what you can to minister to their needs in the moment that they have needs, but you always live out in pre gospel. And so if we're not living that, teaching that, preaching that, then they're never going to know. And so we've got to do that. And then a couple of others, like, should we continue uh, this is a big one here lately, especially with youth ministries, uh, should we continue to do overnight church events like yeah. retreats and camps and Disciple Now and stuff like that with children, youth, and even adults? And if so, how do we handle a gay-identified youth or a trans youth who comes to the program? And um, you know, how do we assign them a sleeping arrangement? What do we do? You know, How do we divide them when we typically divide by sexes when it comes to dormitories and rooming and housing and that kind of thing? And those are questions that the church is gonna have to really wrestle with. And and I'm not sure there's a well I know there is not a non-offensive answer to that question.
0: Yeah,
1: because what I've advised is that if that occurs, number one, I would say talk to the parent, see if you can get the parent to come with the child, and probably put them in a separate accommodation with the with the parent and the child. If that doesn't work, uh, and the parents won't come, then I would say the child would probably be need to put uh, put by themselves, you know, in a separate cabin with two female chaperones. Uh, and and go with that because I think if we put them in with males or females, either way, there is going to be other kids that are going to be impacted, and I think we have to think about the the majority of the of the youth that are there. Is this going to be a distraction for them, or is this going to be you know a difficulty for them? Sure. And are we setting up this person yep. to be harassed or harangue, harangued in any way? You know, in those situations, we certainly want to protect them. And so it it just becomes an incredibly difficult thing to navigate at this point but it's something that youth ministers children's ministers you know even adult ministers are going to have to deal with and face head on
0: and Ricky, just you know, just uh, watching the strain of you trying to work through this you know, scenario that you just created while we're while we're talking, and the difficulty of it, thinking that's what's happening in the local church—that that a student that's minister it. and a pastor are trying to think through this, maybe a volunteer, a student worker, and they're just trying to figure these things out, and they're doing it in the dynamic of a church family. Wanting to minister to people and yet also uh, protect from the spread of any kind of any kind of sin, and and we uh, there's so many things to think about. So, Ricky, every church should want folks who are struggling with with. Um Matters of of identity and sexuality to attend their services, hear the gospel, just as just as you did as a as a child. But what about when a a, a, you know maybe a gay married couple wants to join a church or become more involved in the life of a church? How do you help a church leader think through that type of issue?
1: Yeah, yeah. What I often tell pastors is, I said, well, let me let me ask you a question to the question, and that is. What if a heterosexual couple that you know is living together, but not married, yeah. wants to be involved in your church? Uh, what do you do with them? Because I think the answer to that question is basically the same. Uh, I, I think I want them to be involved in my church. Uh, I want them to, to come and hear the gospel and and do what they can do. However, when it comes to um, any kind of leadership or position of influence in the church, then obviously. We're gonna have to look at their spiritual condition that is often demonstrated in their commitment to God by the way they live out their lives. And so if they're living in a way that is different than what God commands of us for people in leadership positions, then obviously they can't have that leadership position. But we certainly want to say to them, you are welcome to be here. Uh, But but there are limits to what you will be able to do and how you'll be able to function within the church as there is for everyone in the church. You know, it's not just for them, it's for everybody.
0: Yeah. One of the things here in Kentucky, and I'm I'm sure it's other states as well, many of our churches have uh, developed something they call uh, membership matters, healthy church membership, and making membership fairly significant where a person will at least understand the church they're joining and the, the church will understand the people that are trying to join. It seems like those churches are probably in the healthiest position when it comes to some of these matters churches that have been more accepting of other sin uh, and then wanting to single out homosexuality are going to be in a bigger a bigger challenge and you know the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 9 through 11 he, he put this right along with all these other matters and instead of the congregation such were some of you but you've been changed. By the, by the by, the gospel. Uh, so, Ricky, uh, referencing that text, and I know that you've taught through that before. Uh, in fact, your your website lists what you and I were discussing before we started here. Man, you've taught through m- most New Testament books of the Bible in your ministry setting. So, uh, how can a church, or how do you practice teaching both uh, truthfully and lovingly to folks who are in, in, in deeply engaged in in this this lifestyle? How do you how do you how do you teach that way to help people?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, to me, I think the first thing we always have to remember whenever we're communicating about the gospel is that we're commanded to love people. Right, and so we've got to love people. You know, Mark 12 tells us that we need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So I think we should never go far from that truth. And um, I think we always have to express that all of us, each and every one of us, has fallen short of the glory of God, and that we're none righteous, not not any one of us, as Romans tells us. You know, but as a result of that. The fact that we're not righteous the fact that we all sin that we're all in need of god's truth and that truth truth needs to be taught consistently regularly uh compassionately Um, but i also think we also in, in the world we live today have to define what is love because unfortunately the culture we live in has sort of taken that word and changed the definition so that now it means just doing whatever makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. And that is not love from a Christian perspective at all. Love is always sacrificial. It's always uh, serving others. It's always selfless, not selfish. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting. I was reading just yesterday in the New York Times. There was a story by Disney uh, CEO, uh, Bob Iger, who said this is this is his quote. We are not going to make everyone happy all the time. We're not going to try to. We are certainly not going to lessen our core values to make everyone happy all the time. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting that the happiest place on earth, <laughs> Disney World, is is proclaiming that they're not gonna make everybody happy and they're certainly not gonna change their core values. And he was saying this in response to the fact that he's doubled down on including more LGBTQIA mm-hmm. characters in children's animated movies. And so here he is saying, we're not gonna you know, sacrifice our core beliefs. And I'm like, well, I wish a pastor would say that. Mm-hmm. I I wish churches would say that, because ultimately that's what we have to be as the church. We we are going to love, but we know we're not going to make everybody happy all the time. But we're not going to deviate from the core values of of Christ and his teaching and his word in order to accommodate people's desires and inclinations. Uh, We just can't, because if we do, we seek to be seek um, to be the church. We we, we cease to be the church, you know, and we, we just can't do that.
0: So Ricky, you've been ministering in this in this uh, community for a long, long time. We have a video of someone who was involved in Living Hope Ministries, and uh, her name is Ann, and so we're going to run that in just a second. Before we do, could you set this video up just a little bit for us, give a little bit of a context on who Ann is?
1: Yeah, Ann's an amazing young woman that got involved uh, in our church, uh, in our ministry rather, and um, she is an engineer by profession. She was an architect, engineer person, and uh, just an incredible lady. She had had a pretty uh, tough growing up. She had some abuse that took place in her life that kind of derailed her a bit and uh, Caused her to to be very much drawn toward other women uh, in same-sex relationships And she came to us saying hey, I, I, I don't feel that my feelings align with my faith and and I want to Know how to make this better and I understand you guys can help me. And so this is
0: her story. All right, let's watch Anne's video He made me on purpose and for a purpose and that I am his masterpiece, is what scripture says, right? And having that reminder week in and week out, and it's really awoken the Holy Spirit in me and helped me be okay with my identity as a woman of God. Living Hope has helped me understand what biblical femininity is and not just worldly femininity. So, Ricky, tell us, uh, give us an update on, on Ann. How, how did uh, you now, all serve her and where is she now?
1: Yeah, she is doing great. Um, she actually has left her job as an architect and is pursuing a full-time um, seminary. So she feels called to ministry and she wants to go and help other folks, uh, not only just who are dealing with their sexuality, but just she has a heart for people in general and uh, especially younger people and uh, wants to help them and, and be a part of their lives and point them toward Jesus. So I'm just thrilled with with what God is doing in her life and has done in her life. Uh, she's a great, great woman who understood that to be a woman didn't mean that I have to be super girly and frilly and wear pink and bows and baubles. I can be who it is that God has created me to be uh, and, and still know that I'm a woman because my femininity is not determined by all these outside influences but actually what God has proclaimed of me and says about me. And she is that masterpiece. And we we talk about that all the time. We each are unique in the way that God has made us a masterpiece, but we're a masterpiece. And so we need to live into the reality of God's painting on our life, if you will. Brother, that's
0: the glory of the gospel. I mean, you know, uh, Anne made this. You, you made the statement that she began to become uncomfortable with her her feelings didn't match her faith, and so, so someone had to communicate to her the truth about sin, and that caused a challenge for her, and she had to wrestle through it until she could get the help that, that she needed. We do people in service a, a disservice if we if we are not lovingly honest about, about the truth about sin, and there's no way to be, be saved apart from repentance and and then putting your faith and trust in, in Christ. So thank Absolutely. you for your, for your Yeah,
1: you know, the first thing Jesus says when he shows up on the scene, Gospel of Mark, you know, one fourteen, Jesus comes on the scene as a minister of the gospel now, and the first thing he says is, repent. You know, uh, the kingdom of God has come. That's right. and repent I'm like, and believe know, the gospel. I, repent, you know. And so I'm like, that. that's interesting. The first thing he tells you is there's obviously a problem with sin. And one of the realities of the world we live in is that the LGBT community refuses to acknowledge that any of us have any kind of brokenness or sinfulness within us. And in yeah. fact, you'll see them talk about that a lot, where we are not broken, we are not damaged, we are not sinful. And I'm like, well, that flies in the face of both reality, yeah. but especially in the face of the gospel and, and the Bible. And so, you know, I embrace the fact that I am broken. That's why I needed a Savior. That's Absolutely. why Jesus came.
0: It's a worldview that's not going to hold up under scrutiny. I mean, it's it's it fits it fits the narrative that they're living in at the moment on this particular issue. But but they themselves are going to realize the brokenness of the world, even if they would would not accept it about about their own personal. Sinfulness. Well, thank you for your faithfulness. So, Ricky, there's in- an increasing number of young people questioning their their gender, uh, their sexuality, as well as their their gender, and they want to know reasons for uh, why they should believe what the Bible says. Uh, what what kind of help do you provide there for uh, giving folks a, a, a solid Christian worldview, or even resources that you'd point us to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just so important, especially for for youth pastors, children's ministers. Um, you know, we need to teach the Bible, not the cultural babble, you know, and, and I think we're buying into all kind of cute things in the culture to make everybody feel comfortable, but we got to teach the Bible and help them understand what the Bible says. We need to help them see how beautiful sexuality is. Uh, Unfortunately, what most kids hear and what I hear over and over again for young people in my office is, you know, the only thing I ever heard about sex in my church was that it was bad and I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. And then suddenly when I get married, I'm supposed to do it. Well, how does that work? Mm -hmm. You know, all my friends are doing it all the time. They seem to be having a grand old time. And so I think we need to really teach the truth about biblical sexuality. Liz, I mean, my goodness, we have a whole book of the Bible that talks about sex. You know, Song of Solomon is just this beautiful, romantic, incredible book. And so we need to be talking about that. We need to help young people think critically about the stuff that they're hearing. This idea that, well, love is love, you know. Well, no, it's not. Uh, you know, I love my iPhone and I love my wife and I love my dog and I love you guys, but I love all of y'all differently. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness, you know, and and that's the way it is. So, so they've got to be able to think critically about this stuff. And... Uh, when we do that, I think we, we understand then that life is not just about our feelings. Yeah. Feelings are fickle, and they change based on circumstances and situations, but God's truth is eternal. And so we've got to hold on to that truth and teach them that truth.
0: Ricky, what are a couple of mistakes you see us as church leaders making when it comes to engaging the LGBTQ community, um, and how can we avoid some of those mistakes and um, and maybe do better?
1: Yeah, I I think the biggest thing I see is that oftentimes we condemn without offering hope, and and that just breaks my heart. I mean, I know, yes, we need to say sin is sin, and I'm all for that, but if you say sin is sin without offering a hope out of sin, then, then you're not offering anything to anybody. But condemnation and guilt and shame, and the devil will use that to condemn people, and and that can at times even bring people to the point of of wanting to commit suicide if there's not any option. That was my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know there was a way out. I felt like I was trapped. And I think a lot of young people that are dealing with thoughts of suicide and even commit try to commit suicide uh, often are wanting something else, but nobody is telling them that there's another way out. So I think we've got to offer hope. Uh, in the midst of what's going on, we have great examples in our patriarchs of people who have been incredibly sinful, but God used them in amazing ways. And as you referenced earlier, the First Corinthians six nine through eleven passage, where um, you know, Paul says in verse eleven that such were some of you, yeah. but you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is power in what Jesus did. And we've got to communicate that power and that hope that's there. I mean, it, it turned Paul in from being a, a killer and persecutor of Christians to being this gentle mentor of Timothy who planted all these churches. Yeah. You know, so so we see that kind of transformation that can happen. Um, and, and I think, too, the church has to be careful not to allow the culture to define its rhetoric or its reaction. Mm. And, and I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to be everything to everyone that we're literally nothing. And so we need to be standing up and saying, "No, here is the truth. Here is the way that the kingdom is going to come. It is going to come by us repenting of our sin and living for the gospel, believing the gospel, trusting in the work of Jesus to transform us."
0: Ricky, could you list a couple of resources you've referenced the Bible a lot? And again, if anyone visits your website, they're going to see that you've you've taught through most New Testament books of the Bible. Uh, other resources that you would that you would mention that could be helpful for church leaders. Yeah.
1: A couple. First one, if you're looking for something theological, some of these pastors are wrestling with some of these passages theologically, especially in light of some of the criticisms that have come out recently. Probably the best guy for that is Dr. Robert Gagnon, his book called The Bible and Homosexual Practice, Text and Hermeneutics. So you already know it's a pretty technical book, it, but he is phenomenal, does a great job uh, there. Anything by Joe Dallas. Uh, Joe's a good friend of mine. He, he's written about a dozen books on homosexuality. Uh, and all kinds of gender identity, cancel culture, all that sort of thing. Incredible stuff. He's very solid, very kind in the way that he presents stuff. Um, I think every pastor right now ought to read called Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If not that one, that's the real heavy one. If not that one, he's written a, a, a little nicer version called Strange New World, which mm-hmm. is kind of takes the truths from there, but makes it a little more readable and approachable. Uh, that's excellent. Um, ryan anderson's book when harry became sally Mm -hmm. is another one that's excellent uh about transgenderism you've got love thy body by nancy piercy Mm -hmm. um which is excellent irreversible damage the transgender craze seducing our daughters by abigail schreerer another excellent book on transgenderism and then i would recommend you know Toot my own horn here. The the why DVD that we have, it's on demand, or a DVD that we have, uh, understanding um, gender development and homosexuality in males and females, which is available on our y, our, our website, livehope.org. Thank you. And
0: for so those
1: are all
0: good thank resources. You for your work in this area, Ricky. I think for mentioning those, this podcast is called Leadership Lessons. So can you tell us about an experience in your life, uh, something that you saw or did that shaped your own view or approach to leadership?
1: Yeah, you know, it was interesting, when I was a young minister, first came to First Baptist, uh, I had a million dreams and and seemingly not enough time to get them all done, you know, so I bought into all of the highly habits, uh, or the habits of highly effective people, and and I had lists every day, and I dictated lists to my assistant, and she knew what we wanted to accomplish, what those objectives were every week, but um, one day a young man showed up at the office, and he wanted to talk to me, but I didn't have him on my schedule. Yeah. And that was a problem for me because I didn't have him there and I didn't know who he was. I'd never met him. He had never come to my church as far as I knew. And I thought, I just don't have time for this guy. I mean, I just he just cannot talk to me today. But he just kept insisting that he needed to talk to me. And uh, so I, f- I finally said, OK, yeah, fine. I'll i will squeeze him in. So I went and got him. I brought him in my office. As I sat down behind the desk, he closed the door and he said to me, listen he said, I'm really sorry to interrupt your day. He said, I know I didn't make an appointment to see you. He said, I didn't mean, I I don't mean to offend you in any way, but I've really been seeking the Lord and I'm a gay man and I've been living this way for a long time. But God, when I was praying, told me that um, he has grown weary of my sinfulness. And he told me that I needed to come talk to you and that you could help me. Well, I got up from behind my chair and I walked over where this young man was and I put my arms around him and and I began to weep, and I just said to him, man, I'm not sure I know exactly what to do to help you, but I promise you that I'm gonna do everything I can to help you know who, who you are in Christ. Now, what he didn't know about me in that moment is that God had already been speaking to me about doing work with folks who struggle with this issue and those who are needing help so they could find the same kind of healing that I had found. And through that experience, the Lord reminded me that you know building great ministry is not the goal, uh, or Jesus really, would have been kind of a failure. Mm. But what was important is every person that God brought along in my path. And uh, that is where change happens. That's where the culture is transformed. That's where the kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So after that day, I never gave my assistant a list again. (laughs) And uh, we still got stuff done, but, but we prioritized people, not programs, not schedules, not numbers, not even success according to what the world says. We focused on developing fully formed followers of Jesus yeah. who live out the gospel. And 20 years later, that's really still what I do each and every day.
0: Wow. Incredible story. Thank you, Ricky. If folks want to know more about your ministry or about you, how can they reach out to you?
1: Yeah, the website is livehope.org, L-I-V-E-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, and there's a contact uh, tab there that they can write to me if they want to contact us in any way, and we would love to come out to their church and share with them what we've learned about about these issues and how they can respond redemptively to those who are struggling with sexual and relational brokenness in their lives. Ricky, thank
0: you for your leadership, your home, your community, your church, and in the ministry that we're talking about here, Living Hope, and thank you for joining Leadership Lessons.
1: Well, thank you so much, it's been a privilege.
0: Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.